This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to the Nevers Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of Joss Whedon's highly anticipated HBO series, The Nevers, an epic sci-fi Victorian drama. If you'd like to follow us online, and we really hope you would do that, stay and to stay in the know and all things of The Nevers, you can visit us on our website at hbothenevers.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at HBO The Nevers. You can download episodes of our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, everywhere you can find podcasts. And if you have a comment or a question for us, you can email it to theneverspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Kelly. And I'm Tig. Today we'll be answering a question that has plagued mankind for generations. <laughs> when is the Nevers Podcast not the Nevers Podcast? Answer, when it's the doll cast. An Ooh. episode entirely devoted to the discussion of Joss Whedon's sci-fi masterpiece, Dollhouse. Joining Kelly and myself today, mostly because the episode was partially her idea, so it would be kind of mm. mean to leave her out, is Heather. Say hello, Heather. Yay! Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> and Heather is from the Nevers cast. Yes, our yes. sister podcast. The, the baby sister yes. podcast. We we swear we have a new episode coming up for Valentine's Day. Ooh, I can't wait. Is there is there a theme for it? Uh, I'm sorry? Is it a themed episode or is it just coincidental that it's out no, on Valentine's Day? No, it's a themed Day? episode. Awesome, can't Ooh. wait. We are, we are currently discussing if we're going to do a Firefly episode and do Heart of Gold or if we're going to do um, uh, Fool for Love from Buffy. Oh my God, Fool for Love. Yeah, well, I, it's one, one of my, my all-time favorite yeah, episodes. It's one of my top ten. So, yes. Oh my god. Either way, it'll be fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Maybe split the difference. Do both. Both great episodes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> As I briefly mentioned in the intro, there, we are entirely discussing Dollhouse today because there's, there's been a certain amount of discussion between us hosts and. We believe that Dollhouse is probably Joss Whedon's most underrated and also most controversial TV show. So we felt it's it's almost our duty to address some of those issues that the fans have about the show, both in its you know, amazing story, its somewhat problematic elements, and its untimely end. We also, sneakily, thought we'd do a brief overview episode now because if you check our new patreon which we mentioned in the last episode you will notice one of the higher tiers is a episode by episode breakdown of dollhouse featuring me kelly and gina where we'll be watching each episode and giving our thoughts every probably every couple of weeks on what we think so you can follow us on there assuming you're a patreon follower uh Kelly, do you have any thoughts on why we wanted to address the dollhouse today? Oh, thank you. Uh, I think in an earlier episode of this podcast, I had a very much a, as the young folks are calling it, a hot take, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) which was I felt more upset about the cancelling of Dollhouse as I did to the cancelling of Firefly. Uh, Dollhouse 
like you said, I think is severely underrated as being some of his absolutely most intelligent, important pieces of work. Speaking about Joss Whedon. So uh, it was definitely, I, yes, our duty to, to talk about and start the discussion about this incredible, incredible show. How about you, Heather? How do you feel? Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to jump in and say I agree that the, uh, the, the layers in this are super complex and it asks a lot of really, really interesting questions. Um, one of the things I thought about watching this and thinking about the controversy um, surrounding um, the, the show initially and now the Me Too movement is I don't even know if they could get this show off the ground today. So it's... It's kind of a little jewel um, mm. that I don't know um, in the current climate could get made now. And I think that um, everybody who's a Joss fan needs to watch it. Um, I ca- it got kind of a bad rate, rep from a slow start. And I, mm-hmm. and I think it, it just blooms into the, such an epic story. So I think that Patreon's a great idea. I'm going to subscribe. <laughs> Ooh. Good to know we've already I got gotta, at least one I, listener. I gotta hear you guys talk about it, man. So <laughs> I think it'll be quite interesting to see because um obviously me and Kelly have watched the show before, we're big fans, but our third host, Gina, hasn't seen the show. So we'll uh. not have we'll have you know not only just our sort of old you know well built up sort of opinions on the show, but we'll also have someone going in for the first time having completely fresh eyes I think watching the show that's- now. That's so, going to be great for, for discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if she picks up any sort of watching it in this current climate, if she has a different opinion of various aspects than we have, having seen it when it first aired. Mm-hmm. One thing I actually just realized, so I finished rewatching the show again yesterday, <laughs> and I didn't realize, right. or I'd, I'd forgotten, that uh, Epitaph The Return, the final ever episode of the show, was actually based in 2020. So we are discussing the show (laughs) in the year of Epitaph. And although we don't quite have as cool costumes as they have, technology is just about as insane as it was then. (laughs) Yeah. So it's vaguely thematic and appropriate. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this because I haven't actually revisited this show in maybe six years Mm. it's it's so it's very intense it's very dark it's generally quite bleak so it's hard to to visit this one often i more so would go towards buffy because i just find it very empowering and like super fun or something like firefly dollhouse even though it's one of my favorite things he's done it's hard to go back to it yep it's heavy for sure it really is while i think we all have you know we expect great deep character arcs in Joss Whedon shows and we expect to really grow to love the people in them. I think Dollhouse is definitely his most kind of advanced, maybe his most kind of complex, layered actual plot. The world is the most sort of well-realized in Dollhouse than in any of his other shows. So it's really, it's not light viewing by any chance. It really annoys me because it feels like there's so much war that world needs to tell us that we'll just never get a chance to hear because, yeah, it's just, it's it's gone forever. Yeah, especially since the arc, much like Firefly that he, you know, he had a five-year arc ready to go mm. and again had to compress it into, you know, essentially one season split into two parts. I mean, I know it's two seasons, but for network. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, well, let's get into Dollhouse. Uh, So a synopsis of the show. 
A secret futuristic facility known as the Dollhouse erases the personalities of young people, we'll call them, well, they're called actives, so that they can be imprinted with new temporary personas and then assigned in what's called engagements that cater to the wealthy, powerful, and well-connected. After each assignment, the actives are subjected to another wipe before being imprinted with a new personality so they can enter the next scenario with no memory of the previous one. This goes over and over and over again for them. At least, that's the plan. But as the series unfolds, our protagonist's memory, they all begin to return. And she, being Echo, our main one, who is Eliza Dushku, slowly starts piecing together her true identity. It's a huge concept Mm. for this show. And I feel like maybe just within the confines of what Joss Whedon was given, it was too big. If I feel like if it, he had the ability to actually flesh everything out properly, this would have been even perhaps even better than Buffy. It would have been huge. I think it had the potential to be his biggest and best show the funny thing is i actually think the show got better in season two with Mm -hmm. the reduced budget because it allowed him to kind of cut out a lot of the sort of extraneous detail not detail but kind of the the extras that he'd put on quite a bit in season one allowed him to really focus in on Mm -hmm. the core concept of kind of who we are as a person and do our memories define us or is there something is there some deeper part that pushes through that just you know just like as we see in um the amazing relationship between victor and sierra kind of we see see that even when they're completely wiped down to sort of blank slates the connection is still there does that transcend kind of memory and personality big questions yeah and i i think that um I think that much again, like Firefly, his treatment was tinkered with by by Fox, so mm-hmm. it didn't start out the way he wanted it to, um, and it took him a while to get to where he was going with this one. Um, okay. And I and I agree. I think you know if he had the resources like he has on the Nevers for um, the show the show they're doing now for HBO or something like that, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Very much so. Yeah. So. The crew, it was, it's, the crew is full of just all names you've come to know and love from Joss Whedon. Season one, he was working as executive producer. Then he had co-executive producers and showrunner, that title which seems to cover so much while revealing so little, was Elizabeth Craft and Sarah Fain. Old Whedonverse favourites Tim Minear and Stephen S. DeKnight were on there as consulting producers. And as is so common, especially these days, but even back in the, the the heydays of the late 90s and early aughts, it was becoming a thing. Eliza Dushku, who was Echo the lead, also served as producer. And then lastly, the composers, two names we haven't seen as much associated with Whedon, but hopefully will in the future because their work was amazing, was Rob Simonson and Michael Dana. It'd be quite interesting to see more from them if we they return for the Nevers. Mm-hmm. And then in season two, executive producers were Joss Whedon, Tim Minear, David Solomon. Producer was Eliza Dishku, and our composers were the same, Rob Simonson and Michael Dana. Then we get into the fun part. The cast, the actives, the dolls, the core, the heart and soul of the show. Of course, in our lead was Eliza Dushku, playing initially Echo, the active, later revealed to be eco-warrior and something of a terror carolyn farrell 
Harry Lennox, who I love in everything he's been in and needs to be in more things, was playing <laughs> her handler and surrogate father figure, Boyd Langton. The ineffable and inestimable and irreplaceable Fran Kranz played tech genius and mm. perpetual child Topher Brink <laughs> with a heart of yeah. not even gold, the heart of like of platinum, of pure diamond Topher Brink. <laughs> the perpetually scowly and far too often topless Tom O'Pennicket played Paul Ballard, who is <laughs> if you've seen Tom O'Pennicket in anything he's playing basically the same character but this time on Earth. Uh, Enver, I'm sorry if I pronounce your name wrong, Gyokash, I think, plays Victor slash Anthony Cecily. Uh, Deacon Lackman, who always seems to play robots, was playing Sierra slash Priya Sesang. Again, sorry if I got the name wrong. Olivia Wilmans, Williams, sorry, who we will be seeing a lot more of in The Nevers, mm. who was oh, just stunningly brilliant as Adele DeWitt, one of the standout yes. characters. Uh, Miracle Laurie, who they spend the entire show pretending is this girl next door, even though she's smoking hot, plays Madeline Costley slash, yep. spoiler warning, November. sorry in advance, November. <laughs> Amy Acker, my future mm. wife, again, sorry, spoiler in advance, <laughs> plays Dr. <laughs> Claire too. Saunders, the uh, doctor from the dollhouse, who is also secretly whiskey for the former number one mm. girl and my favourite drink. And lastly, <laughs> we have Reed Diamond, who is incredibly underrated as always he always plays quite similar characters but he always plays them brilliantly playing lawrence dominic the head of security and all-round utter douchebag but plays it so brilliantly you sort of have to love him anyway then there were a few um on and off characters who sort of popped up now and again but were usually quite good aisha hines played agent loomis who was in the pilot apparently that was unaired so no one counts she recurs as a sort of a straight man to uh, Tom O'Pennicket's perpetually scowling FBI agent. Lisa Lapira played Ivy in four episodes. So I, the name rings a bell, but I can't actually, even though I've just finished watching, I can't place her, which is strange. And then because it's a Joss Whedon show and it's a sci-fi slash fantasy show, he has to be in here somewhere. It's in his contract. Mm. He has to be in all the shows. Mark <laughs> Shepard played Agent Graham Tanaka. And lastly, in possibly mm. his greatest role ever, Possibly anyone's ever. greatest role ever. Alan Tudyk <laughs> plays the utterly psychopathic but fantastically watchable Alpha. Absolutely love that guy. Yep, Seriously, he was great. so good. Oh my God. I can't wait to rewatch this. <laughs> oh, you, you have to. Like, watching. I have a, I have a few rewatching now. I have a few feelings. They, they could have cut that ep- Briar Rose, that episode, slightly differently. I feel like they slightly revealed his identity a little bit too soon, but yeah. seeing him swap, like you, you first introduced to him and he's this kind of bumbling tech guy and like, oh, it's, it's Alan Tudyk playing Alan Tudyk. This is, yeah. this is great. He's, he's a tech guy that drinks his own wee. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then suddenly he just pulls out a knife and starts cutting people up. I'm like, what the, what just <laughs> happened? And suddenly he's not Alan Tudyk, bumbling tech guy. He's alpha psychopath literal yes. mass murderer and it's just it's the absolute perfect character like one of the most finely executed heel turns i have ever seen on television it's just superb then briefly in season two we had a few new newbies join we had alexis denisoff because it's weed and he has to throw in all his fans playing San- senator daniel perrin he was who so was, good uh, you know 
He was like, so good at being smarmy and plastic. <laughs> that is a perfect description of his character. It reminds me of his character, if anybody ever watched How I Met Your Mother. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. I didn't realize he only got that role because he was married to Alison Hannigan. Yeah. But like, yeah, he yeah. absolutely nailed it. I, I, you, you see him as Wesley and he's kind of bumbling and very British and let's have some tea. And he's, he's just like this yeah. slimy, just one of the worst people ever. But then again, there's an amazing sort of turn and it's like, you just don't see it coming, but it's so brilliant. Yeah. But we also had uh, Summer Glau, of course, made an appearance. Interestingly enough, one of her only appearances where she doesn't find some excuse to dance, but yeah. she appeared briefly as Bennett Holverson, um, kind of Topher's crush slash opposite for the New York office. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that has to be one of the most Whedon casts that's ever Whedoned. It's the Whedney of Whedonists. The Whedonist. The absolute Whedonist. Like, that is just an absolute... Like, all his casts are great. You know, I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, one of the best leads he's ever worked with. She was amazing. You've got so many great characters in Buffy. And then you've got, you know, Firefly. The whole cast is just gold. Oh, my goodness. But uh, the, the core in Doll's House, just... I mean... You know, Eliza Dushku is fantastic. Not only is she amazing as Echo, the, the whole concept of the show is she's constantly changing and becoming these different people. And she nails mm-hmm. every single one. The only mm-hmm. actress I've seen who's managed to do something similar but do it better is uh, Tatiana Maslany in Orphan Black, who literally is playing yep. five characters simultaneously, constantly. And I'm, I, th- I have a feeling that yeah, Eliza probably would have done that if the technology had been available at the time, but Orphan Black literally created the camera work required for that to happen. So we'll yeah, we'll give them a pass. Okay, and now we're going to get into a bit of the history of Dollhouse. The story of how Joss came to create Dollhouse is pretty well known. He had no intention of going back to the small screen and was trying to sort out his options for a pre-strike feature writing offer in addition to working on his fantasy thriller Goners. Yay! He then got a call, <laughs> he then got a call from Eliza Dushku, who was looking for advice on how to make the most of the development agreement she'd signed with Fox and 20th Century Fox TV during the summer. In mid-September, Joss Whedon and Eliza Dishku went to lunch in Santa Monica's Ivy at the Shore. Wow, we know so many specific details about these people's lives. (laughs) (laughs) And over a, you know, a nice lunch, over a meal, Joss came up with a concept for Dollhouse. Dushku talked about how Dollhouse and her reconnection with Reedon came about. She says, I invited Joss Whedon to lunch after I did the business deal with Fox. We'd had a cool relationship in the past and I so wanted to do something else and I wanted to get back into a television show. That was from Variety. It was a mistake, Joss Whedon says. (laughs) I sat down with her to talk about her options and acted all sage, saying things backwards like Yoda and laying out what I thought she should do. But in the course of doing it, I accidentally made one up. I told it to her and she said, that's exactly what I want to do. (laughs) Dollhouse premiered on July 28th in 2009, produced by 20th Century Fox Television, Mutant Enemy Productions, and Boston Diva Productions. Rather than ordering a pilot episode for Dollhouse, Fox opted to instead put the funds towards the construction of the elaborate set of the series. Joss had planned to shoot separate webisodes for every Dollhouse episode produced. He had just come off of Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, which was massively successful. However, the webisodes never materialized, and there was never a reason given. Maybe Fox didn't want to spend more money on the series? Who knows? 
While the series lasted for just two seasons, Joss had plotted how its characters would evolve over a five-year plan for the show, as he does for everything. And sadly, the last episode of the series aired on January 29th, 2019. Ten years ago Oh my today. god, ten years ago today! Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of creepy to think we were recording this ten years ago today. Oh, I didn't know about I... the webisodes. I would have <laughs> loved to have seen that. I remember some of the ones that they did for Firefly. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I love that kind of branching out of a universe. I think that's so mm. cool. And in a world in a kind of a universe with so much to discover as one like dollhouse sure like there, it's not like he would have been struggling for material there was so much to do with there like they would have been amazing but you have to figure they probably would also have been quite expensive so i, I can see why they wouldn't want to put the money in to do it now there's a topic we sort of have to discuss dollhouse was a great show but as i mentioned before somewhat problematic in the themes that it covered. Things like uh, consent and what it means to have informed consent, human trafficking, prostitution. Dollhouse is probably Joss's darkest show to date. We add to date because we're not sure where he's going to go with the Nevers. This is HBO after all. It's dark, it's morally ambiguous, and almost everything and everyone in the show is compromised to some degree. It deals with lots of themes of ownership, consent, and the kind of behind-the-scenes machinations of these global, too-big-to-fail corporations. These were concerns that some had during the show's run, and these concerned parties felt that the characters were being exploited in a way since they had no memory of the events that occurred during the missions, and thus hadn't, and in fact couldn't, give their consent to what happened. Well, that was kind of the point, though, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean... I mean, Yes, I get the feeling that people that had those issues about the show hadn't actually watched the show because these are all things that are raised in the show. Like The whole reason why uh, Paul and the FBI, Paul Ballard, the NBI character, is kind of his whole arc during season one is trying to bring the dollhouse down for exactly these reasons. Sure. I mean, it seems kind of strange to throw these at the show as reasons why it shouldn't be there when they're the reasons why the show is there to address right, right. these issues. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I also find it quite interesting that people seem to take offense at the fact that the dolls are used for prostitution, but don't seem to mind the fact that the dolls are used for assassination missions. So killing is fine, but sex is somehow bad. Well, anyway. Oh, boy. In an interview with uh, at Comic-Con... Joss said, later in the process, I woke up in the middle of the night and thought, this is trafficking. My response to that was to try and show both sides, the reality of the trafficking and the fantasy that exists within the dollhouse, to show their differences and the startling similarities. We didn't get as far into that as we'd hoped. There's been quite a lot of adjusting, breed, studio interference. He continued... There's no way you can avoid the idea that this feels like high-end human trafficking. But what I'm interested in is the idea of this woman who has no identity, who is gradually becoming self-aware and saying, I think I know more than they want me to. It hurts me and it intrigues me. That's an interesting quote. I wonder, I mean, I know he says he woke up in the middle of the night um, and said this is trafficking. It would have, I would have thought that would have occurred to him right off the bat. Yeah, like, I'm wondering, uh, 
like when he, when he says he woke up in the middle of the night, is that in the middle of the night during filming after, you know, during post-production was this, he woke up in the night with this idea in his head of this is trafficking and then used that to write the script. Like, right. I mean, it may have been right after he came up with the concept. That may be like he had that lunch we were just talking about with Eliza, pitched her the idea, went home, and then woke up yeah. thinking of trafficking. You know what's interesting is that, again, I haven't revisited this show um, in, in many years, but that was never on my mind. I never even thought about that aspect of what the dollhouse could represent which to me again it just shows that there are so many layers and so many things to a lot of Joss Whedon's show that sometimes you don't think about it you don't really think about it or realize at the time but give yourself a couple of years re-watch revisit and we can just you can get more out of these shows than you sure. can even possibly mm. imagine so this has kind of blown my mind mm. you know thinking about this today It'll be interesting to see if that kind of hangs in your mind during the single episode podcasts we yeah. do. I can have so many thoughts. Yeah. I can't wait. I've got to say, <laughs> like rewatching it, I, I watched it over the weekend, just gone. I did the whole two seasons over the four days. Yeah. Yeah, it was well, pretty intense. Well, to be fair, trafficking, as well as the Me Too movement that we talked about before, have a lot more political cachet now than they did 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So whereas yeah. Yeah. trafficking, you know, might not be the first thing that pops into your head because I don't even know if human trafficking had that terminology 10 years ago. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it did, but it just wasn't one of those things that was a big social push like it is now. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's had that name for a while, but it wasn't a name that we were seeing every day on social media and on the news and it, it wasn't as kind of thrust into the limelight which seems like a bad choice of words so i'm gonna try and change that but yeah it wasn't as ever present as it is now in the kind of the more don't everyone use the term woke but it, it sadly it is the, the most fitting word to use in this situation as a note about joss whedon because i can't sing praises enough but and it was talking, I think I was talking about this on my other podcast, but the fact that Joss Whedon, he doesn't play into trends. So his work, it's going to be relevant 10 years ago. It's relevant now, maybe even more so now when Absolutely. we revisit Dollhouse, but maybe another 10, 20 years. It's just because the, of the themes that he explores in all of his work are just timeless. And sadly, some of this stuff will probably deal with it for many generations, but mm. It's just because he doesn't fall into trends, it's his work is just, I'm thinking of, I want another word that's not timeless, but it's just, it's going to be relatable to all generations of people. And I just, I love that. It's, yeah. it's, it's that's such a great point, Kelly, because look at, look at Westworld that owes so much to Dollhouse and the, and the idea mm. of, of transient personality. Um, but it was a huge hit and basically dealing with the same questions. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yep. That's why I wonder, yeah. like, could, if Doll's House had been released now, we say, like, would it in the sort of the post-Me Too era, would it even have gotten made? But you have to wonder, is it actually more, is it more relevant now? Is it more likely to be made and to succeed now if it addresses those issues than it would have back then when those issues weren't so much in the public conscience? Like, they may have handled it slightly differently, but I think yeah. a show with themes similar to this, as we've seen in Westworld, could actually be incredibly successful, depending on how it's written. I mean, agreed. I think you'd have to have it, like, on an HBO or a Showtime 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah. yeah, and I think he would have metamorphosed it to be uh, more of what he wanted and less of what the network was asking, because I think in mm. the, the beginning there was a lot of a lot of emphasis on the TNA, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> yes. and, I, like, yeah. I would be willing to bet money that Joss did not de- did not design that shower set. That, that has right. Fox executive <laughs> written all over it. <laughs> And of course, oh, Joss being Joss, shower. he made he made it work for him within the universe. He made it kind of a story point, and sort of you know, it, yeah. more than just TNA, yeah. but it, it was clearly there just for TNA. If they said go make this again today, I, I think um, it it could still absolutely use the same themes. I mean, honestly, I know we've we've covered it a few times. There is a Buffy remake coming out. I, th- I think this year actually, but. I'm kind of hoping it gets dropped. I haven't heard anything about that in months and months. Same. Like, uh, there was that and there was the uh, Dark Tower TV series coming. Yeah. And both seem to have just vanished off the face of the planet. I- I'm pretty sure I heard Amazon drop Dark Tower. I'm kind of hoping the Buffy remake gets dropped. Because I really don't understand how anyone can look at, look at all of Joss Whedon's works and be like, hmm, I'm going to remake something Joss made. I'll pick the one that actually got not one, but two successful brilliant final episodes why not pick one of the ones that didn't get a chance to tell its whole story mm-hmm. and allow it to tell its whole story mm-hmm. and you know I, I sort of fear i'm repeating myself but um, if i if i say it enough hopefully someone will listen i think a show like dollhouse in the current climate could be brilliantly amazingly successful if you handled it correctly if you, you know if you used kind of the, the correct outlook on it it could be amazing and it could tell a story that does actually need to be heard more now than it ever did in 2010 asked at new york comic-con whether the network had any issues about a show about beautiful women fulfilling the fantasies of rich men whedon replied well first of all it's not just women it's women and men and secondly yes there was in the ranks some consternation when the show was being made say that looks like prostitution and my response was yes that's that's part of the package that is part of what's going on with the doll's house and some people have been greatly offended by that and wanted to stay away from it but whedon said that's the point my response to it is to take it head on let's talk about the fact that it's exactly that and say how much of this is morally reprehensible and how much is how we, as an American culture, deem it morally reprehensible. The whole show is about what parts of our identity and the way we behave with each other are actually positive and decent. What parts actually come from ourselves and what parts have been socialised? What parts have we been told are good or bad? And that's a theme you'll find in a lot of my work. What truly is a sin? I would like to subvert that and take a hero and find out what is dark and strange and Canadian about him. He then laughed. (laughs) To be able to talk about prostitution in a science fiction show, to deal with sexuality comes from Eliza Dushku. She said, I want to deal with sexuality on the show. I want it to be part of what we talk about. I mean, that's an interview from many, many years ago. Literally every part of that is still just as relevant and needs to be said now as it ever did back then. So, I mean, while it did deal with those subjects, 
I don't think it ever glamorized them. It always showed them. It it always showed the dollhouse as a bad place. It like it was never meant to be this kind of utopian Eden. It was always shown as being a somewhat gritty, somewhat gruesome place that did things that were morally questionable, if not outright wrong. Agreed. Agreed. I didn't find it exploitative either didn't glamorize it didn't feel like it exploited any of this it was just like this education essentially about about what was going on and i like the aspect of the consent i've always thought about and the whole aspect of even going as far as you know thinking about souls and blank slates and and everything there's so much going on in this show but the consent because i our actives some of them anyways as you'll learn not all of them went willingly um into the dollhouse so they are consenting to become dolls and to have this done to them but then you think about the people that are put into their bodies they they don't have consent to this it's just it's kind of a mm. mind like mind, oh, <laughs> mind <trip>. sorry man <laughs> it's something mind trip <laughs> It is. Yeah. It just is to me. It's my question is on the consent part. Um, you know, they sh- they show the part where uh, Caroline is signing her papers and they're saying, you know, five years and you'll get out of trouble and you'll be living your life after this. But then you see um, that people don't get out. They end up getting put in the attic or they end up getting killed on engagements or they, you mm. know, you, you wonder... It, yeah, is there really a way yeah. out? Are they consenting to something that isn't actually ever going to end for them? And they say, like, you sign the contract, you, you you kind of give yourself up for five years, and then you're free and you have lots of money and you can live a great life. You can, They say kind of, you can be whatever you want to be. To me, it was implied that kind of as you leave, they can put an imprint on you so that whatever you choose to do when you leave, you will excel at that. But that's kind of more of a headcanon than anything that's officially established, but... Either way. Right. They kind of act, they say, they lay that out there like it's a given, but actually that's a best case scenario. You have to wonder Mm. how many of the people that go in actually ever leave. I mean, to be fair, the dollhouse we see does seem to be quite a sort of tumultuous location. I'm sure there are, because they're all around the world, there's houses in like every major city seemingly i'm sure there are some where you go in you do your five years and you leave but i wouldn't be surprised if the kind of graduates so to speak were closer to like 60 percent than 100 yeah show me the stats of how straightforward they're making this very much this you know situation sound because we know with november or yeah Mm. melly it's not, you know, exactly as they're making it nope. seem. Yeah. Or Claire. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, then you have, you have to wonder, there's, um, I mean, Sierra is admitted because she's uh, schizophrenic and they think it'll, they can use that time to kind of fix her brain. But then it turns out she wasn't, she was like, obviously, you know, again, spoiler warning, but if you've, if you've got this far and you haven't quit due to spoilers, it's sort of your own fault by this point. Um, you know, Sierra, it turns out actually she, she wasn't, she had no problems she'd been drugged by an obsessive guy who then not only committed her to the dollhouse against her will but then took her out on engagements like it's implied about about once a year or once a month or something and had romantic engagements with her so i mean 
they make a point uh. of saying, you know, yes, it's five years and you know, they sign a contract and it, it's all consented. But right. then, I mean, she, she literally couldn't consent and was then given back to the person that imprisoned her once a month to do with as he pleased. So, I mean, yeah. then see, the, the flip side to that, there's always a flip side when it comes to Joss. Let's not forget Adele was carrying on with, with Victor. Exactly. She was literally abusing her staff. The thing is, I mean, in things like in Tierra's situation, she's in this horrible situation, but I mean, the Poor guy Sierra. is shown Sierra to be... Sierra had a rough go of it all the way yeah, around. I mean, he's shown to be an absolute monster. Completely. So it's not like the show glamorizes what he's doing. It shows he like he is clearly the villain and he, he gets a villain's payback. So it's like, I mean, yeah, the show raises a, a tricky issue, but it doesn't try to make it seem like anything other than a horrible situation that then they do their best to redress as soon as they realize what's gone wrong. So, I mean, it's, it's a controversial topic, but it's not like... Yeah. They've handled it badly. Agreed. Okay, let's tra- transition to some lighter subject matter. Uh, so we did a Twitter poll, uh, and we asked everyone which season of Dollhouse was their favorite. And actually, it turned out that it was evenly split down the middle with 50% season one, 50% season two. So what are our favorite seasons? And for me, it's hard because it just they jam-packed so much into season two, and it just... It was, not that it was a mess, but it's it's challenging. It's a challenging show to get through sometimes. Uh, but I would say season two because that stuff is epic. And every single episode, the, the intensity and the intrigue, and I just am in love with it. So I would have to say season two. I would two. have to agree. <laughs> when, um, I watched it a few years back and I, I really did, but I thought season one, I preferred season one because it seemed like a more kind of focused, complete season. And I thought season two was a mm-hmm. great season, but it all, it kind of seemed like here's what you could have got. He sort of tried to fit like four seasons worth of topics mm, into one yeah. season. But then rewatching yes, it over yeah, the weekend, agreed. it's like, I like season one. It's a, it's a solid, it's a decent opening season. But like the first kind of three or four episodes yep. are, are kind of duds. And you get to about season five, and it, episode five, and it starts to really kick off. And then Briar Rose comes around and Alpha turns up and it's just the last like two or three episodes are yeah. solid goal. Yeah. They're just superb. But then you get to yeah. season two and literally every episode is that good. Like it's all killer, no filler. Yeah, he packs a lot in, but that's because he had to. He had no other choice. It was that or, you know, leave the stories untold. And there's already so much untold. He, he had to get as much as he could in there. It's, oh, so good. I mean, it's, all, it's all great, but I think season two slightly edges it out how about you heather i actually voted season two on the poll as well um but it's it's close because my favorite 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 episode is season season one and is what really got me on board um for the whole show and i'll talk about that when we talk about our favorites but overall season two i'm I'm with you guys it's just nonstop. clean sweep so it seems the Twitter poll was split, but our reaction is firmly season two. That's because we're right. Yeah, with an addendum <laughs> that season one was also a killer. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like the first it was really tread water. The first few episodes of yeah. season one. I remember this so vividly. So I watched Dollhouse when it, it uh, premiered yeah. on TV, like going back 10 years ago. I watched it each week. And the first little bit, I'm like, okay, you know, it's kind of kind of slow starting. And um, 
I remember just being super intrigued and just happy to have another Joss Whedon show. So, but yeah, once that alpha situation happened, I'm like, oh my God, the show has just taken an incredible turn and this, this is it. And then I was just devastated when it was canceled. Like this is, this is completely unfair. Yeah, I watched it when it aired too. And I remember Joss mm-hmm. started making noise after season one that it was going to get it. And we were all waiting with bated breath to see if they picked yep. it up for season two. We're all making fan art yep. and sending it to Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went, I tried to find my fan art that I, I sent to the person oh. that was sending all the stuff to Fox to get them to give it season two, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> Just to show you guys, like, look, I was obsessed. Oh my I don't if, if you ever find <laughs> it, please show us. I feel like I probably sent an e- a strongly worded email. <laughs> the sad thing is, I think if, again, like if, if the show was around today, I think the social media push behind it would have been huge and it almost would have been enough. I mean, we've seen... Shows like, uh, you know, Supergirl, Veronica Mars have been picked up because the fan push behind it was so strong. I do think we would definitely have, there would have been a small but devoted fan base and on social such, media. There's so would. many networks now. There's such a mm. thirst for good content. Mm-hmm. Man, Dollhouse could have been a yeah. Netflix Oh, they would have loved it. Give me that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that all of the kind of bad luck that Joss has built up over the years will turn into good luck and the Nevers will just explode and go on for like 15 years till we're all sort of old and grey but still love it. Still here on the podcast wearing out microphones. <laughs> I'm wondering though, because when we do know at least one of the one of the touched is, I mean, she's a, uh, a hooker with a heart of gold type character that Joss loves writing so much. Do you think they will kind of bring in any of the themes from the Nevers into that plot arc. Obviously, there's, there won't be the sort of sci-fi stuff, but, I mean, the idea of signing a contract over to a house for five years, I mean, that's that's timeless, to borrow your word from before. <laughs> I, you know, I, I... He hasn't done a TV series since he's done the movies. Um... I, I'm not sure what to expect from him at this point. I mean, as I've watched the cast become assembled and the story become assembled, it sounds like Joss, right? But <laughs> And he always, ta- like, Dollhouse, once Dollhouse got on the track it needed to be on, the way he handled um, some of the controversial stuff was so deft, I felt like, um, that I it would be so interesting to see how he handles stuff like that. That by the time that it's portrayed in, no one would think twice about it. But to a to a modern audience, he's going to have to do something different. You know what I mean? Mm. So why don't we talk about now uh, our favorite characters and why, our favorite episodes and why. Uh, Heather, why don't you start? Because you kind of started talking a little bit about a favorite episode. So go for it. What are some of your favorite episodes? Um, so my absolute, absolute favorite, and Tyg knows this, um, is Man on the Street. Um, because Man on the Street mm. is what Dollhouse is. It was the first episode that came out, yes. had multiple story run- lines, excellent storylines running at the same time. and Everything came to a head and slapped you in the face and said, this is how good this show can be. And um, so you had the deal with Sierra and her handler, which asked a ton of difficult questions about um, 
about consent and about abuse of uh, power and abuse of uh, a person in a position of trust. Um, then you had, you know, the whole ar- overarching thing with, with the dollhouse, and that's a purveying thing from day one, but it becomes more into focus about what their responsibilities are to their dolls and stuff like that. Um, and then you have Caroline mm-hmm. starting to remember stuff, and you have... And finally, mm-hmm. you have the absolute brilliant crescendo, spoiler, 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 of um, November or Melly being a Ugh. double agent. And <sighs> when that, that phone call came through, I oh flipped out like we were jumping all over the living room when that happened. Ugh. It was absolutely brilliant. No one expected it. Yeah. And I was like, no. that, from that moment on, I was like, I am in. There are three flowers in a vase. The third flower is green. There are three flowers in a vase. The third flower is yellow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You know what? Yeah, that was yeah, looking back, yeah, that was it. I was devastated. Right. <laughs> I was devastated. Paul Ballard was devastated. I was like, what is happening? And I, I you know, props to Miracle Lori who played mm. us all like a drum because Yep. Uh, she to me was such a standout character. I loved Fran Kranz and I loved oh, Adele. Yeah. Um but I, yep. I felt like Miracle Lori took the the fat girl trope, the unattractive girl, the desperate girl t- trope, and just turned it on on its head. Like, yes, that's actually actually one of my favorite episodes. I'm looking <laughs> at my list, and uh, oh, and, yeah, that's from season one. That 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 is it. Like that is. And the I totally episode. forgot about the whole thing with Patton Oswalt and his wife. Yes, his, his dead wife. I mean, right, Patton Oswalt. I've always loved his humor, but, mm. and, and I, we knew he was um, Ratatouille and Bouncy the <laughs> Rat was obviously winked to that, but he just turned in a tour de force performance as well. Mm. And, you know, another thing is, do you feel sorry for this guy because he's recreating this thing with his wife, but then he sleeps with the active? It's just, it's so complex that they cram that into 45 minutes is insane yeah oh that's fair is that's any other favorite episodes i mean that's epitaph, a big epitaph one two, for, sure. for sure yeah epitaph mm, two yeah. i'll never forget yeah. them going out the window up the ropes when that beautiful song sung by marissa um ended the episode mm. uh let i'm trying to think for myself yeah definitely a man on the street uh just the the realization about Alpha oh, later on oh, in season yeah. one, just like some epic, incredible moments on on the show. Um, I like the episode needs. That is a good one. Or is it need the needs? Sorry, I just wrote down needs. Anyways, where they kind of allow the dolls to have some of their original personalities, and they try to escape, but then yeah. they can't. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting episode and then in season two 
uh, when we learn all about uh, Sierra and her situation, that was that there's not yeah. many words to describe that episode, but it's like some seriously hard hitting. And I also really like the in, uh, episode called Instinct, which just showed this, just some an in, interesting aspect about the dolls where they imprint them, but then like how far into their core do these personalities go because an instinct that's where echo becomes they're trying to find like a lost baby or something and she actually in the end steals this baby and runs off she's like no she's been wiped she's like nope this instinct is still inside of this woman and i thought that was a really interesting Mm -hmm. episode they just go to some really interesting places that just kind of blow that just kind of blows my mind some really great episodes picked there um instinct is a great one because it's also where you you first start to realize that Topher is actually capable of not just affecting people's brains, but affecting their bodies and making them, like, f- really, like, physically change them at a deeper level than just messing with their heads. And you sort of realise, mm-hmm. like, a, that is where, in a, a longer run, it would have been sort of the turning point where you start to realise just how dangerous this technology truly is. Like, you're not just messing with their head, you're, mm-hmm. like, physically changing them at a chemical level, and that is terrifying. For sure. Um, I, I ended up watching just the not the true pilot but the pilot uh the other day and i think that's just called echoes yeah yeah and that's actually a pretty interesting episode because they've in imprinted echo with this woman that has this history of being kidnapped and that's what makes her such a great uh, negotiator but then she becomes head to head with a person that actually traumatized her and i was like this is intense trigger warning all over the place on this on this show and that's and that was in that first episode um so i thought that that was just again fantastic they're like why why is she, is she glitching quote unquote like what is going on they're like no she literally has been face to face with the person that abused her and of course nobody could have seen that coming but wow again and that just kind of brought that character back and Oh, that was that was intense already. I had slightly mixed feelings about that episode because, on a conceptual level, fantastic. You know, it, it shows kind of the extent of the technology. It's great performance from Eliza Dushku. Everything about it on the surface is fantastic. But then a bit like, what actually are the chances that they would run into the person that kidnapped the person that the doll was based on? It's like it's stretching your luck a little bit there, but. Given how we're talking about a you know future world where they can imprint brains into other people, you can you, you can sort of give them a bit of you know a little bit of suspension of disbelief is the least they're asking for. I, I can I can deal with that. But I've got to say, for my favorite episode though, it is my favorite episode, but it's also my least favorite episode. I I equal parts love and hate it. It makes me <laughs> you know I love it. It makes me happy. It makes me sad. It makes me angry. And we, we've said it already. Epitaph: The Return. It's just, it's the last ever episode that we're ever going to get. And it's amazing. And it shows just like kind of how much there was to do with the series. And you get to see kind of this brilliant arc that Topher's gone on, but we didn't actually see, we just saw the beginning and the end. We didn't see the fucking arc. And I, I finished yeah. watching that. And I'm like, I, I don't understand how anyone that is in, that is supposedly like a, a TV commissioner for a network can watch that episode and not just hand Joss a blank check and say, put in whatever number you need. Tell me more of this story. Fill out this world. It's crying for it. Like, it's just, 
it's such an amazing amazing episode and Fran falling apart is one of the most yeah as Topher is one of the most seminal acting jobs it's amazing it's like he takes the the fairly standards you know Whedon tech genius with the, 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 the smart character turns up in every freaking show there's always one of Joss's he loves them but then, like, he just, he adds this this amazing depth to it. And then you see kind of where he is by Epitaph 2. And it's like... Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I would happily have a show of just him. Like, uh, actually, on on our last podcast, we had a letter from uh, Irina, a new, a new... If you're still listening to this, Irina, I have a new show I, want, I, would, I would pitch to Joss. Half hour, fixed, single camera comedy of a tech lab in who who cares in sunnydale who cares staffed by uh winifred burke topher brink and willow rosenberg <laughs> I, I, i'd need to see those three oh just like bouncing ideas off each other and being and amazing kaylee. and yes and, and oh, God, how would i forget kaylee and kaylee does everybody nerdy yeah. out yeah oh, that would be, oh, perfect perfect, kaylee. perfect. I have to hang in my brown coat i forgot Haley. it's just terrible but as a as a a second kind of an, as an actual non epitaph episode that I loved, uh, the Hollow Men, where we get the reveal of who is actually running Rossum, and it's, it's it's such a gut punch, and I don't understand how we can watch uh, what twenty three odd episodes, and Joss can pull the exact same twist of oh you thought this person was nice ah no it's a doll like five times. And we still uh. fall for it every time. <laughs> and it's still just as big a shock every time. It's like, oh, you thought this was, uh, you know, Victor, the, the like a Russian mobster. Nope, it's a doll. What's that? You thought he was the only doll watching Ballad? Nope, neighbor's a doll too. Doctor, nope, doll. Stop it. Stop making us fall for the same trick. Yeah. Um, for characters, honestly, I find with Joss Whedon shows, it's very hard. And like some episodes, mm. this person's my favorite character. And then it might change because everybody's so incredibly well written. I think overall, probably some of the best acting in a Joss Whedon uh, piece of work is in Dollhouse. I really think so. I think overall, this might change once I rewatch the show and talk about it episode by episode. But from what I remember, I really loved Paul Ballard. Like I love Tamil Pennicott. I met him and he was very sweet and he told me to watch Battlestar Galactica because oh, I hadn't watched it yet. He's so like, good. no, seriously, you got to watch the show. It's so good. Like, okay, Tavo Pennicott, I will. And then I did and I did love it. So take recommendations from him, I guess. It is one of the best non-weed <laughs> but, sci-fi uh, shows ever yeah. written. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a real classic. Battlestar was amazing, <laughs> except for the end. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, anyways, how about, how about you two? Any... Favorite, if you can have favorite characters. I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, go, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I think um, I said earlier, Fran, obviously, um, uh, Miracle Lori playing Melly. And uh, my favorite is uh, Adele, kind of, because she's yeah. just, mm. mm-hmm. uh, she's just cool, cool as a cucumber trying to hold the, the weight of the responsibility of this really mm-hmm. difficult position she's a woman 
Um, she's British, so she has to keep the stip up, stip up her lick. And when Mr. Dominic tells her on uh, Man on the Street that, you know, you played that brilliantly, and she's like, I played a bad hand very well. And that was kind of her role in the whole thing. I, w- I was literally I mean, just looking through the quotes on IMDb trying to find out what episode that's from. One of the absolute <laughs> standout lines of possibly the entire Whedon verse. You know, and by so the end good. of it, yeah. when everything's falling oh apart and she's become this mother figure to to Topher who just cannot handle the implications of what he's created. You know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. she's just, she's just too tour de force. And I'm so excited to see her in the role in the nevers Mm -hmm. as kind of the den mother. Um, It's just, she's Olivia Williams is a gift. She's an amazing actress. I I knew her Mm -hmm. before she was on, um, she was on dollhouse and you know, she's so well-respected in the, in, you know, in all circles of acting. Yep. So it's going to be, it, it shows that she, she loved working with Joss as she was willing to come back and sign a five-year contract. So mm-hmm. I, I think she's, she at one point was also one of my favorites. You know, it's, I usually go between Ballard, Topher right. and Adele. Um, oddly enough, normally not echo. Like I do love Eliza Dushku, but yeah. Yeah. I, it, those other three just, especially Adele and, and Topher, just kind of blow her mm. in the water. But I do love Echo as like an empowering figure. She's, I think the problem with Echo is that she doesn't really get a character till about halfway through the second season. The problem is she's mm-hmm. like, in every episode, she's someone new. She plays them all brilliantly. Yeah. So, I mean, via a performance, it's definitely Eliza Dushku's best performance. But it's quite hard to kind of get a deeper connection to someone that isn't actually someone for the whole first season. And plus, the little we know of her kind of real personality is not particularly likable. So, but like, I, yeah, I much prefer the yeah. kind of composite sure. version we get by by the end. And I still say her breakdown about Paul in uh, Epitaph Two is one of the standout scenes. I mean, she's when she's. Uh, trashing victor's truck but yeah i mean yeah. it's yeah yeah but you're right i think i hadn't put my finger on that tag but i think you're right she's she spends beyond um the first half of uh season one not being anyone except mm. in a couple of uh uh clips where she's signing her contract or they show her on that videotape that Ballard's obsessed with yeah so you don't really know who she is so she's she's either tabula rasa when she's in the dojo or she's somebody different every single time you see her yeah so it's hard to relate and connect mm. which is vaguely ironic when you consider what her character's meant to be she's meant to be the person that can connect with anyone because you just turn her into the perfect person to connect to but actually that makes her as a viewer kind of distance from it makes her quite hard right. to connect to right it's almost like uh the people that had in place personalities whether they turned out to be dolls later or not had a jump start on audience connection at any rate mm-hmm. he's been mentioned a few times but yeah um especially on this second rewatch far and away favorite character is Topher because he like, mm-hmm. he's kind of he's he's the weed nerd character but taken to the absolute pinnacle the episode for me and i, I couldn't remember but i'm trying to find it on i but i can't track it down because it's it's not actually the story of the episode it's just a little a little something for Topher to do in a corner is the episode where it's his birthday and he, he takes Sierra and puts, like he does the diagnostic on Sierra and they're just kind of being uh, nerdy together for the whole yeah. episode. And you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, it's just, it's Topher's, you know, he's broken out friend, whatever. And then at the end, when Adele's doing the voiceover, he's like, well, it's only once a year. 
and you see her handing him the Twinkie with the candles and you're like, oh, for did you have to make that sad it was such a funny story (laughs) why didn't you make it sad (laughs) and then seeing the kind of mother-son relationship he has with adele in the future it's like i I want to see how they got to that place because it's a even in the sort of the hour hour 30 we get to see of that plot it's like the, the chemistry between the two of them is so well realized I want to know, mm-hmm. kind of. I want to know how they got to that point. I mean, she's always quite protective over them, but I mean, that's that's next level. Uh, okay, so Dollhouse actually also continued into comics, like Angel did, Buffy did, and and everything like that. So. During 2010 San Diego Comic-Con International, it was announced that a comic book had been written by Jed Whedon and Marissa, I'm definitely going to butcher this last name, Tan Sharon, thank you, titled Dollhouse Epitaphs. It features a new storyline to bridge the gap between the main series in Epitaph 1 and Epitaph 2 Return. The book was a 24-page one-off limited edition only available in Season 2 DVD Blu-ray disc. It was later revealed in New York Comic Con 2010 that there would be more comics that took place in the Dollhouse universe. A one-shot was released on March 30th, 2011, and a mini-series began with the first issue released on July 13th, 2011. The one-shot, which reprints a Season 2 exclusive with additional material, is written again by Jed and Marissa, and the miniseries is written by Andrew Chamblis. Chamblis? The comics are set in a future Los Angeles after the dollhouse technology has reduced the city to ruins. So I have a bunch of these comics, haven't read them in a very long time. I definitely got them after the show was canceled because I want more of this world. Um, And I liked them. I haven't revisited them in a long time, but I definitely did like the art. And I like, I just love the story and the premise of all of this. So I was really into it. And again, it's too bad that that didn't Mm. continue on. Anybody I did else? not read the comics. Guilty. I'm. I'm. I tend to not be a comic person, and I. I, mm-hmm. I read through a lot of the Buffy comics and kind of dropped off at the season ten start. Um, yeah. And I read a couple of Doctor Horrible ones and Sugar Shock, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. For me, it was just. I need more of this. So oh, no, this I is get how it. I'm going to get, get it. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the same. And like at. The, during that time, that's I think yeah I was watching I was reading uh, the Buffy uh, and Angel comics uh, yeah. at the time because I just wanted more and that's actually how I got into comics was because of Joss Whedon shows ending or being canceled so that's kind of sad or good I don't know <laughs> just it's a good well, thing like, that came out of it <laughs> doing this show and doing the rewatch you know I started the rewatch before we were doing this show because we were also talking about doing a Dollhouse show on the other R and R show. And yeah. I was like, I should read those comics. <laughs> They're not a huge commitment. There's not much there. So it's if you decide to pick it up, I don't think you'd regret it. Uh, it's just little snippets into that world again. If you want to revisit that world, I think I think it's worthwhile. Annoyingly, I haven't read them and I was trying to find them on my... Cause, um, I have a tiny little flat in London, so I don't really have the space for lots of physical comics and i was trying to find them on the site where i purchased digital comics and they don't have any of them so i was quite annoyed by that oh, but they yeah they came out in the sort of the blank because I, I didn't see dollhouse when it first aired it didn't i don't I'm not sure it even showed in england so i mean it probably did but i just didn't see it but i didn't so it, it kind of i saw them much later after all the special editions had sold out so i didn't get a chance to buy them but i've been trying to find them and if i do find them i will be all over them because it sounds like they are 
kind of exactly what I want to see. They're, they're the fill-in bit between the end of our world and the beginning of the sort of messed up dollhouse future. So I'm very much going to try and track them down once almost the moment this podcast finished recording. So yeah, I think sort of final thoughts on dollhouse i'd have to say i mean we've sort of covered it already multiple times but i'm gonna keep saying it until someone in power listens if you're gonna remake a whedon property this is the one you need to remake i mean as much as i want to see more buffy i mean as you said earlier kelly the script is timeless buffy is just as good today as it ever was when it came out it doesn't really need a remake it's it's still good you don't need to remake it you just need to rewatch it and it's still just as amazing. While it could have a few tweaks, it's still serviceable in its current state. Meanwhile, Dollhouse is kind of a skeleton of a show, so desperately missing some muscles and flesh on it to make it not such a crushing disappointment when you finish. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, if you wish to, yeah. if you wish to live through that crushing disappointment with us again, I will just restate we will be doing episode by episode podcasts where you can come along and cry and laugh and shout and rage at us while we watch each individual episode it will be me kelly and our co-host gina who has not seen it and i've only spoiled a couple of the major twists sorry again for that gina but hopefully there's still a few she won't know so we'll, there will be a bit of a shock to reaction to this show. <laughs> no not in, no not in this one in previous podcasts just in conversations oh, i've accidentally no. spoiled stuff i know because i didn't realize she hadn't watched it and then we were talking about alan tudyk in a different show and i, was like, I wanted uh, to come back and play a villain because he was so great at right. playing alpha oops right well oops. it's still there's still some surprises to be had and she doesn't know necessarily when it happened True. and i don't know i feel like it's still going to be shocking because she doesn't she hasn't committed yet she hasn't True fell in love with the show and fell in love with these characters and feel for them. And, you know, there's still the November situation. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of things that she, she has to, to go through. So I think, I think definitely she shouldn't listen to this episode, no. but I still think she's, she's got some surprises in store. I think yeah. she'll, she'll be really into it. We definitely need to slap a huge spoiler warning sticker on this episode because. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you do try to be fairly restrained, but I did not hold back. I'm sorry for anyone that's been ruined by this, but. No, yeah. Well, it's been off the air for 10 years, so... I'm going to say, yeah, talking about a show for an hour infers that there will be spoilers. Yeah. Fair points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my final thoughts is that I'm just... I'm really excited to revisit Dollhouse after... Um, so many years and look at it just now as opposed to even five years ago, six years ago when I last watched it. Um, I've done so much research just with regards to, you know, Joss Whedon themes and feminism and sexuality and consent and just identity and all kinds of different things over the years. So looking at it more critically instead of just as entertainment is going to also be, I think, challenging and interesting. And I'm, generally just really excited to to revisit it so much and share it with the world i'm excited that you guys are excited (laughs) (laughs) Um, i uh i think i misspoke earlier when i said uh uh, epitaph 2 was my favorite i meant to say epitaph 1 um but epitaph Mm. 2 is a close second because felicia day yeah yes oh my god yes felicia day i'm pretty sure she was in that much like uh Mark Shepard is contracted to be in everything. I'm pretty sure <laughs> right. Felicia Day 
is well, a secondary on that contract. She's If it's <laughs> kind of a genre TV show from the late 90s, early aughts, there's a very good chance Felicia Day will show up at some point and just be like the most amazing, memorable character in the whole show. Side note, the Guild, I oh would love God. to rewatch all of that. Uh, Guild yeah, is so good. Maybe not the, oh not the last season, though. The, just the first two seasons are amazing. Yeah. Uh, if you have a comment, topic, suggestion, or a question about the Nevers and anything else Joss Whedon related, tweet us at the Nevers Podcast or send us an email at the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com and we'll read it on an upcoming episode. We now have an email from longtime supporter Berger Halverson. Wow, okay, this is a serious question. My dear fellow Weed Knights, my favourite Dollhouse episode is The Man on the Street, in good company. Ah, In this episode, we see several men give their opinions on the Dollhouse. First, there is Joe the Rapist, who asserts that rape is rape, and his rape is not worse than what Adele allows to happen to her charges. Second, there is Joel the Widower, note the similar name, who believes that what he is doing is harmless and just a way for him to cope with his grief. Lastly, there is Paul who tries to play the role of White Knight charging in to save Briar Rose. My question is, how do you feel about these three men? How do you feel about the Dollhouse as an institution and DeWitt's attempts to run it in a humane and responsible manner? Mm. Yeesh, Persia, you really weren't slacking with that question. That That is a serious question. I mean, I, I think um, the question kind of, uh, the answer to all the questions boils down to it's not black and white. It's hard to to feel uh, that any of it's all good or all bad. Or, I mean, clearly um, the dollhouse itself is hugely problematic and, and, and the people working in it try to come off as ethical. But at the end of the day, the whole thing is hugely unethical. So, I mean, yes. as... You know, as Adele tries to do her job competently and she talks about protecting the doll, she's still fooling around with Victor and his one of his personalities yeah. and, you know, Mr. Dominic's all up to all sorts of stuff and, you know, Boyd there, and, you yeah. know, it's just it's it's such a complex that's a complex question to answer. And so, you know, I just come back to say, <laughs> you know, I don't know from one episode to the next how I feel about mm-hmm. people in this show or the, you know, the, yep. the, on either side. So uh, Adele, just like you said, you know, she, everybody's an enabler. They may still be here. The people that sign up to come into the dollhouse, the people that work in the dollhouse, they're all just enabling all of this to happen. So, yes, it's not black and white. It's very nuanced. It's very complicated. It's very upsetting. It's there's a lot to talk about for sure. Um, Joe, the rapist, makes a very good point. Very good point. All those people make very good points about what they're doing in, you know, comparing and contrasting what the folks in the dollhouse are doing. The the comment about Paul who tries to save, uh, sorry, coming in to save these people that consented to be in the dollhouse. That's even infinitely complicated, which we kind of talked about earlier about the consent aspect of all of all of that. So how do I feel about them? They make great points. Are they great people? Probably not. Especially not Joe. Yeah. You know, Joe is like obviously not. You he know? is in no way exonerating himself with that statement, by the yeah. way. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> but like Joel the Widower, that's complicated. Grief it, is complicated. It absolutely is. <laughs> they're not great people, yeah. but they're all great characters. Yes. They all show yes. us, like, they're very different takes. They're all bad, per se, because they're all still, still engaging with the dollhouse. But anyway, it's sort of like 
you know, using a, a scalpel. You know, if you give it to a doctor, she can do amazing things with it. If you give it to Alpha, he'll cut people's faces up with it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a, in a, at the end of the day, the dollhouse is a tool. It's a very murky place. And, but I mean, when you then go to, for instance, when they go to the New York, New York office and you see that, uh, River Tam, like basically mistreats all her dolls and keeps them locked in cages and like, you know, yes, at the end of the day, the dollhouse is essentially a very well-paid murder brothel. There's no way that's going to be good. Right. But I always thought, don't they have corporate policy about this kind of thing? <laughs> when they saw operate the point. same way, <laughs> Evident, yeah, apparently like a not. Franchise. Oh it, it, it does seem like the the sort of the dollhouse controller. The, the is, are they ever given a, a sort of exact title? I don't think they are. But it seems like the person that runs the dollhouse has a lot of say over what happens. Even though, the, yeah. even you know, when we see in the second season when Adele briefly loses control of mm-hmm. her office, her place, even then we see the new guy comes in and he runs it in a formal kind of militaristic fashion. Uh, you know, it's not the kind of calm, cooling place that it is under Adele's, I won't say care, but her control. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's a bad person, she's in a bad place, she's doing a bad thing. But, I mean, it seems like a cop-out saying if she wasn't there, someone else would be running it, and they may be running it far worse. I mean, in Man on the Street, we see, you know, abuse by handlers, but she, you know, she stops it, and she, you know, she absolutely destroys the guy. That that situation is, is probably endemic throughout the entire dollhouse structure. But how do we know in some places it's not, you know, not actively encouraged, but one of those kind of nudge-nudge, perk-of-the-job things where it's just allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a bad place, but she runs it as well as you possibly can within the bounds of what the actual place is meant to be. So, I mean, yeah. no one, none of the people involved are good people, but she's as good as it's possible to be while still running a high-tech, high-cost murder brothel. <laughs> Complex characters, man. Better, I would say she's better than most, which probably isn't saying much. Yeah. She's not good, but better. I feel like Dollhouse, the show, and the Dollhouses just showcases the absolute complexity of the human mind in many ways and how absolutely vulnerable we are as mm. as human beings and you know i think about adele dewitt and how she does have those little rendezvous but she you know breaks down and it's like oh i'm still only human and i need to have some kind of connection but then apparently none of these people really leave the dollhouse and they all have to live there or something it's very strange yeah it's like this incestuous situation and it's wow um people yeah but there's the vulnerability of human beings and it's almost undescribable there's a lot going on with that yeah then there's actually a little kind of second question tacked on the end here how does whiskey return to the dollhouse and what do you think about both amy acker's major weeden characters ending up being possessed by evil men fred by illyria and sanders by clyde's 2.0 i would just note wasn't illyria a demon queen Allura was a woman. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah, female. Yeah, yeah. Although I suppose you could yeah. say the possession was engineered by the science guy right. that was a guy, but um, but yeah, I actually oh, yeah. If if he's yeah. referring to um, she was to possessed guy, by yeah. Illyria, but Illyria was engineered by the guy whose name I can't remember. The scientist guy. It does kind of count. 
Yeah, you kind of can read that sentence and that question in a different way. Because, I, yeah, I read it as she is not possessed by an evil man. But also, I don't, again, I'd have to rewatch Dollhouse. But I don't remember Saunders being a bad doctor, but I don't remember. Uh, Was he a bad guy? I know. Um, Saunders is, he's referring to Saunders as in the character, but is possessed by Clyde, the head of um, Rossum, who is incredibly evil. It's for like two episodes right at the end of the season. Honestly, I have a distinct suspicion that Whedon keeps having Amy Acker in his shows and getting her possessed because she is such an amazingly versatile actress. It's just great showing off all that she's capable of doing. Like, it's it's cool to see Amy as Fred, as this kind of hilarious, sort of timid geek with a spine of steel. and But then she gets possessed by Illyria, who's this badass demon queen. And then... We have Saunders, who starts off as quite a mild doctor, then becomes a really quite terrifying doctor who absolutely has it out for Topher, and then becomes Clyde 2.0, and it's three very different characters, and she absolutely nails all three of them because she's amazing. I mean, it, it, it seems a shame to have an actress as great as Amy Acker on your show and not have her play two or three different roles. I'd like to think and hope that that would be the reason why, and not like... Uh... He likes to put Amy Acker in these uh, initially kind of weak, meek female roles just to, you know, punish her and turn her into these monsters, essentially. I would say that I don't think Amy Acker has ever played a weak or meek character in any Whedon show. I mean, even Fred's had like some, she survived five years in a demon realm. She was, she had some real steel to her. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I think he's interested in transformation. Um, and I think mm. the short the shortcut to transformation is is start with somebody that is perceived as weak and turn them into something incredibly strong. And mm -hmm. she he did that with both of her characters. He did that with Wesley. <sighs> you know. Um yeah. in a Great way point. he did it he did it with Spike. Not that Spike was weak, but Spike was hundred and eighty degrees away from what he started as and what he ended in ended yeah. as. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I've got to say, I do really love Wesley's sort of arc from Buffy to oh, Angel. The best. The he best has, ever. I think, I think I've actually, I've, I've, I think I've mentioned this line before. He has one of the absolute most brutal lines in Whedon history. It is absolutely horrific. It's in Angel, I believe, season four, when he's on outs from everyone. And he's uh, shacking up with Lila and they're having their kind of tempestuous alliances and they've, they've just hooked up and she's getting dressed and getting ready to leave and she kind of in a very kind of mild joking manner just kind of ribbing him she's like now i'm not one of those kind girls from angel investigations don't think about me when i'm gone and just without missing a beat he's like, i wasn't thinking about you when you were here uh yes what that harpoon yeah that is just that is <laughs> unnecessarily mean to someone that was just joking with you and so like to think that he's a person in that mindset and then think back to you know, Wesley Wyndham Price, who first arrived in Buffy and was kind of snotty and a little annoying. It's like, how can you have those two like kind of almost polar opposite characters, but they're the same person? So it's a pretty amazing journey to take them on. Agreed. Wesley is neat. <laughs> <laughs> How very Wesley of you. Yeah. 
jumping back to, to, to actually answer the question quickly that he, that he posed us there um, about yes. how does whiskey return to the dollhouse? I actually, I was a bit confused by that the first time I thought, but rewatching it this weekend, I think I've worked out how. And basically, it, it's a bit confusing at the time because you're not yet aware of the twists. I have a distinct suspicion because she kind of disappears and then we see that she's been hooking up with Boyd secretly. And mm. I, I have a distinct suspicion that is because he has kind of tracked her down because he sees her as the next host for Clyde 2.0. And he's kind of, you know, to use the film, he's kind of grooming her for that. Because at the time, we just think they're sort of star-crossed lovers or whatever. Because we don't realise that Boyd is actually evil incarnate. I have a feeling that's how she gets brought back in. But again, the, we never really get an explanation for that because everything in the show is cut in half because Fox. Grr. We hope that you've enjoyed this special episode of the Nevers podcast and will join us on Patreon for more exclusive content just like this. Get access to our private VIP group, the Nevers and the Nevers podcast swag. Personalized shout outs on the Nevers podcast and social media and live chats with us. And these are just some of the benefits that you'll receive by becoming our Patreon supporter. For a full down of all of the benefits, visit us at patreon.com backslash the Nevers podcast and a heartfelt thank you for your support. It helps us keep the lights on around this place. And remember to subscribe to the Nevers podcast so you don't miss any episodes. You can find us at hbothenevers.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HBO The Nevers. Send us any comments, questions, concerns, or suggestions to the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com. Kelly, Heather, thank you so much for joining me on this rambling spiel about how much I love the dollhouse. <laughs> uh, would you like. Thank uh, you for having me. Heather, do you want to do your bit and promote the Nevers cast? Um. We're the little sister podcast to the this podcast, and you can find us at theneverscast.com. Um, and we are also on all the um, podcast uh, providers like Apple and uh, Google and Spotify. And uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. And for myself, I do writing for our website so definitely check those posts out i have another project and a podcast called i spit on your podcast yeah and we're on all podcasting apps like uh, stitcher soundcloud spotify itunes etc uh it's the spinsters of horror we have a website spinstersofhorror.com so you can find us on all social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Horror Spinsters, and myself, you can find me on Twitter at K Gredner, G-R-E-D-N-E-R. Okay, and I've been Tyke, and I'm not on social media because I have a distinct suspicion that's how they flesh out the dollhouse imprints. So- <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again, all our listeners out there. Thank you for listening and hopefully for supporting on Patreon. And I've been Tyke, and this has been the Nevers Podcast. Bye! that was a fun one i uh, i was trying so hard not to swear the whole time it was i think a few slipped through but i managed it we let one fly every once in a while on ours just so we can bleep it (laughs) are funny 
This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. I know you've heard colorful rumors about what an active is. Robots, zombie slaves. Mostly people think they're just very good liars. They are, of course, quite the opposite. An active is the truest soul among us.